0: Org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Alrighty, guys, if you would please grab your Bibles. We're we're in Matthew chapter four today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back there for you, next to the AV booth. That's our gift to you. And as you turn, as you turn to Matthew chapter four, uh, let me review last Sunday. Really, it was a, a pretty big introduction to the three temptations of Jesus Christ. And it, it was an overview of this thing that we all struggle with every single day of our lives. And that's the temptation to sin. The biggest key point and the takeaway from last, last week's sermon is that word temptation in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we talked about how that English word tempt, it, it, we know that, right? We know that, what that means. It means to, to tempt, to do evil. But the Greek form of that word is parasmos. And parasmos is very, very different from our English definition. Parasmos means to test or to prove. So we talked about how perosmos is a neutral word that can be used as a testing for good or a temptation for evil. So when I think of something being in neutral, I think of a car. It's being in neutral. I I can either go forward or I can go in reverse. It's a choice. Perosmos, same thing. Spiritually speaking, when, when you're going through a trial, God is the one who is testing you for good. He's allowing you to experience pain discomfort, all for the sole purpose of building up your spiritual muscle. Uh, God is developing your character and integrity and your moral compass, but from from the demonic standpoint, parosmos is a temptation to trick you into sin. See, God wants you to put the car in drive and move forward into holiness, everything else, everyone else. I want you to put your car in reverse to stay where you are and to do what you've always done. So, dear friends, if you, if you can really grasp this concept of, of biblical trials and, and biblical temptations and tests, this idea of parasmos, it will change your life. It really will. It's going to change your perspective as you go through the trials yourself. It will it'll even change your theology. In other words, it'll change the way that you think about God, uh, how he's working in your life today, and and really how the trials that you're going through, how you can experience him at a fuller, more biblical level. You know, we must go through the trial. Many of us, we want to take that detour and go around it, don't we? Uh, Now, Parasmo says we, we go through it, God uses it for the building up. So that's all a review from last week. Today we're gonna we're gonna build upon our understanding of Parosmos. And as we study the first temptation of Jesus Christ here, um, before we dive into the gospel though, give me a few minutes to really kind of set this thing up. I want to start today in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4:15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus, he's the one who's our high priest, but we have one who has been tempted in every single way that we are, and yet he's without sin. Now, have you ever wondered how Jesus was tempted in every way like we are? I mean, was Jesus really truly tempted with anger or lust, laziness, drugs, depression, Scripture says yes. Hebrews four fifteen says every way, it doesn't say some of the ways, it doesn't say a few of the ways. It says every way. And the reason that I ask that is because the gospels they only give us three temptations. None of these temptations are, are the things that we'll ever be tempted with. So we're going to start today by taking a quick look in, in Luke's gospel before we get into Matthew. Luke chapter four verse one. This is his. His his passage on the same narrative. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And that's where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. So Luke specifically tells us that these three temptations are not the only temptations of Jesus. Luke tells us that Jesus was tempted throughout his entire time in the desert. And not only, not only that, look at this, verse 13, after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. So Jesus was tempted throughout his entire life, just like we are. Matthew, however, he only gives us three of the temptations. So do we have a contradiction in scripture? Scripture. Now, keep in mind here that the gospel writers, they have a different theme. They have a different audience for writing their specific gospels. So Luke tells us that there are many temptations, while Matthew focuses on what seems to be the last three. It's not a contradiction. It's a matter of perspective. So think of it this way. Within all of those temptations that Luke focuses on, Matthew tells us about three. Now, keep in mind that nobody was in the desert when... uh, to witness the temptations of Jesus. So these temptations were the ones that Jesus shared with his apostles. Now scripture doesn't say how many other temptations there were or what they were, but Jesus providing us with these three, that means something. There's a reason that Jesus selected these specific temptations with all of us. And the reason Jesus chose three temptations is that they are, these are the, the temptations that are representative of every other kind of temptation. So we're going to learn over the next several weeks here that these three temptations, they point to the very root of temptation that you and I experience. How so? Well, let's find out. If you would please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter three, verse sixteen, to give us uh, the context here. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." And then, the and then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter approached him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, well throw yourself down for it is written. He will give you his, his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you, you're not going to strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, it's also written, do not test the Lord, your God. Again, the the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all of these things if you'll fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him. And the angels came and began to serve him. This is the word of the Lord for River Bible Church this morning. Thank you. Have a seat, guys. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 1 and 2. So then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We covered all of that last week verse two here, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So scripture doesn't tell us specifically what Jesus was doing during those 40 days and those 40 nights. However, other parts of scripture does combine fasting with prayer. So fasting and prayer, they are two sides of the same coin. So really there's no doubt here that Jesus was praying to the father during this time. Now, We have discussed several times how Jesus is the the new Adam. He's the second Adam. So Jesus' life, keep in mind, it's vicarious. So Jesus, his life, he must accomplish what Adam, and also the nation of Israel, failed to do. Adam and Israel, they were supposed to be obedient, but they weren't. They were rebellious, just like me and you. That was a great spot for an amen. (laughs) <laughs> Verse 2. <laughs> After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. So if Jesus' is life, if it represents the nation of Israel as a do-over, that number 40 should jump out at us. The number 40, it points us back to the Exodus. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. The nation of Israel was in the desert for 40 years. So let's turn there. Let's see what happened. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness. Why did he do that? So that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his command. So in verse 2, we see the, the comparable Hebrew version of the Greek word parasmos from last week. That, that word test there in, in Deuteronomy 8.2 is nesaw, and it means the, virtually the same thing, to test, to try, to tempt, to put one to the test. So we see all of this, this kind of testing all throughout Scripture. God's testing grows His people up into maturity, And at the same time, it's an effort to prevent us, to prevent people from sinning. Verse three, he humbled you by letting you go hungry, and then he gave you manna to eat, so that you might learn the man, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Notice here in verse three how the test came first. For the nation of Israel, and then God intervened to provide some food. So they had to wait for, for the Lord for these provisions. Deuteronomy 8.3, this is also how Jesus responds to Satan's temptation, and we're going to see that here in a minute. So back to verse 2, Matthew 4.2. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, Luke's gospel tells us that Satan was tempting Jesus the entire time. and But what Matthew does here in verse two is very, very interesting. Matthew focuses on what seems to be the last three temptations. And we see this in how Matthew writes the narrative. Matt repeatedly says this. He says, then or again, then again, then again, after each temptation, suggesting that these three temptations, the last three temptations, and they're all in chronological order. So back to verse two, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now I don't know about you guys, but uh, that sounds like a pretty big understatement to say that Jesus was hungry after fasting for more than a month. Also notice how specific scripture is here. He says 40 days and 40 nights. And I point that out because there are many religions to where people will fast during the day, but then they will gorge themselves with food at at night, and then they will fast during the day again. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't eat anything for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't even eat bugs and, and wild honey like John the Baptizer. Now, last Sunday, we also discussed the difference between Adam in the Garden of Eden and also the new Adam, Jesus, in the Judean desert. So we're going to see that correlation here in verse 2 as well. As you'll remember, the serpent came to Adam and Eve. Their stomachs were full. Adam and Eve, they weren't even hungry when they were tempted to eat that piece of fruit, and they still ate it. On the other hand, the devil came to Jesus. He's on the verge of starvation because for 40 days... Well, 40 days is about the longest time a, a human can fast without permanent bodily harm. So I'm told I haven't done this. <laughs> uh, science tells us this, right? Research tells us this. Now, if you've, if you've ever fasted, you know that there are some hunger pains when you fast. But around 40 days, there's going to be some new pain. These pains are not because of hunger. These pains is because your body is starting to starve itself. And it was at this point, the point of starvation, where the devil comes to Jesus. But even though Jesus was starving physically, he was prepared mentally and and spiritually. And that brings us to key point number one for today. Temptation loses its power when we're prepared. Temptation loses its power when we're prepared. In In other words, we could say that the greatest threat to our temptation is unpreparedness. It's us being back on our heels, oblivious to what's going on around us. So temptation loses its power when we are prepared. So back to verse 3. It's at this moment the tempter approached him. Then the tempter approached him. So Adam and Eve, think about this, they had each other when they were tempted. The nation of Israel They were in community when they were tested, but not Jesus. Jesus was isolated. He was alone. And see, it's at this moment, this moment where Jesus is starving and he's physically weak from a a lack of sustenance. So in other words, Jesus, man, he's the perfect victim for a roaring, roaming, hungry, demonic lion. And this lion shows up and he says in verse 3, if you're the Son of God, well, tell these stones to become bread. The context of this verse is not so much that Satan is planting a seed of doubt, although he often does that, but this verse could be translated, since you're the Son of God. Since you're the Son of God, just turn these, tell these stones to become bread. Satan knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He does not doubt that. Uh, Scripture tells us that in James 2.19. The Apostle James writes this. He says, you believe there is one God? Well, that's great. That's great because the demons believe that too, and they shudder. So all that to say this. Satan is not going to get into a discussion here of Jesus' identity. Jesus' identity, that's been made known by the Father. Um, Matthew 3.17. A voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So the implication here is not whether or not Jesus is God's son, but rather what type of son will Jesus be? Will he be disobedient like Adam? Will he be stiff necked like the nation of Israel? Or will he be perfectly obedient, fulfilling all righteousness? So what's Satan's agenda here? Matthew 4.3, he says, if you're the son of God, well, just tell these stones to become bread. Well, it's at this moment, Jesus' physical human body, it's starting to break down. Jesus is getting ready or in the process of starving. Now, there's an easy fix for that. So the devil says he tempts, he tempts Jesus to satisfy Jesus' human needs, his human desire for food by simply turning these stones into bread. So question, where's the sin in that? What's wrong with that? I mean, after all, Jesus creates food for the feeding of the 5,000 Jews. He does it again for the feeding of the, the 4,000 Gentiles. What's the problem? Well, first of all, verse 1 tells us that Jesus was in the desert for one reason, Going back to verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This whole thing is about temptation. It's not about food. So secondly, as we read through the Gospels, Jesus never once uses his personal or his divine powers for personal use. Philippians 2.6 says, says this, Christ, was, Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. So the Gospels show us that Jesus never, he never performed any miracle to make his life easier. And that's kind of a theme that we're going to see through as we go through these three temptations. So back to verse three, Satan says, well, tell these stones to become bread so picture this Satan is is tempting Jesus Jesus is beginning to starve to death and Satan it's like he's pointing down to the ground We, we talked about how personal this conversation is between Satan and Jesus and Satan says well Jesus just tell tell these stones to become bread problem fixed now, once again, we've all been tempted in many ways, but none of us have ever been tempted to turn stones into bread in the presence of Satan. Jesus's temptations were unique because he's unique. This is pretty obvious to us. Satan is not going to suggest, to, to, Satan is not going to suggest here to Jesus to do anything really blatantly obvious or evil. That would be way too easy to spot. So if we read between the lines here, Satan is saying this, you know, Jesus, I don't know, you're on the verge of starvation. All you have to do is turn these stones in the bread. I mean, what's the big deal about that? I mean, after all, you are the son of God and you shouldn't have to starve. Look, Jesus, you're hungry. And if you can turn these stones in the bread, and I know you can because you're God's son, then you need to feed yourself. You don't have to wait on the father. You're a man, and you need food to survive. I mean, how could the father allow his own son to go hungry? He provided manna for those rebellious kids in, in, uh, in Israel, and here you are. You're, you're the perfect son of God, and you're getting ready to, to die of starvation? Jesus, if he lets you die in this desert, how, how are you going to fulfill your, your mission? That kind of conversation sounds pretty convincing, doesn't it? You guys see the actual temptation in all of this? It's not about bread. The temptation is for Jesus to take control of his own life. And since Jesus is the Son of God, this appears to be an invitation for Jesus to misuse his divinity apart from the Father's will. The problem is that if Jesus chooses to make bread from these stones, all for his own benefit, see, Jesus then steps outside of the Father's will. The Father has given us a covering, and if Jesus steps outside of that covering, that's exactly what's going to happen. So the temptation here, it's it's self-serving. It's a self-serving use of Jesus' divine power. But from Satan's perspective, and this is really interesting to think about, From Satan's perspective, being hungry is incompatible with Jesus being the Son of God. So at the end of the day, Jesus was being tempted to doubt the Father's word. Jesus was being tempted to question the Father's love. And Jesus was being tempted to be suspicious in the Father's provision Lord, are you really going to provide for me here? So how does Jesus respond to this? Verse 4, he says, it is written. Today, we say something like this. The Bible says, the scriptures say, it is written. And we're going to notice that that all three of Jesus' responses to the temptations begins with this phrase. So Jesus was not, he's not referring to uh, anything any kind of book that made the Jerusalem, you know, the Jerusalem Times bestsellers list. He's not talking about that. Jesus quotes God's word. He's not talking about man's. Jesus responds by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, which we looked at earlier. So by quoting that text, what Jesus is doing, he's linking his temptation experience to Israel's in the desert. He's tying those, those two things together. Jesus, obviously, he's very aware of his daily need to depend on the Father for bread. But he's not going to use his divine powers as some type of cosmic magician to go outside of God's will. Jesus will not perform a miracle independent of God's will. Jesus will not supersede his own will over the Father's. Lastly, Jesus will not take control out of the Father's hands and grab it for himself. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 because we all need to learn. Physical bread, it's not not enough to live on in this temporary life that we have. For us to survive, for us to thrive, we need not only physical bread, but we need spiritual bread. Jesus said this in, in John's Gospel, Chapter 4, verse 34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So as Christians, we are never justified in complaining, worrying about our our legitimate human needs we see that here in this first temptation we are always better off trusting in the promises that are found in scripture because if we don't trust if we don't choose to trust God with his promises then we choose to trust in ourselves and if we trust in ourselves then we're just we're living a lie that our physical well-being is our most crucial need and that's not true what is true is verse four. Jesus says, man must not live on bread alone. Yes, we need bread, no doubt, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus's first word, look at this. I find this so interesting. He's responding to Satan and he says, man, man shall not live by bread alone. It's important to note here that Jesus faced the devil as a man. Not as the son of God. It's like the devil kept reminding Jesus of that. Satan said this three times. He said, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you're the... he didn't say the son of man. What Jesus does here is he points the devil back to the, to the real issue of temptation. Jesus is going through this test as a human being, just like you and me. By quoting scripture, Jesus is saying this. Listen, Satan, it doesn't matter how much food I have to eat. God will preserve my life with food or without food. As long as he wants. It's completely up to him. If he wants to take my life today without food, so be it. And so be it if he wants to take my life with food. It doesn't matter. Satan, I trust the Father with All of my provisions. Now, as we look at this text, the question of whether Jesus could have sinned always comes up in a conversation like this. Because many people say, you know, it's impossible for Jesus to have sinned. Because Jesus is is the Son of God. And He is. Jesus is God. Other parts of Scripture say that God can't sin. And that's true. However, Jesus has two natures. We've been talking about them since the beginning of, of Matthew's gospel. There's a divine nature, and there's a human nature. And that's why we see, say that Jesus is truly God. He is the Son of God. Jesus is also truly human. He's the Son of Man. He was born of a woman. And we can't divide these two natures between Jesus. There's a lot of heresy when you start doing stuff like that. So don't do that. But what we can do is we can distinguish between those two natures. During Jesus's lifetime, he got hungry. He got tired. He also died. Those were signs of his human nature, not his divine nature. But Jesus, as the son of God, he doesn't get hungry, he doesn't get tired, and he, didn't, he doesn't die. Jesus's human nature, however, It's a real human nature. All the limitations that go with humanity, just like you and me. So key point number two here, Jesus had the ability to sin or he's not truly human. Jesus had the ability to sin or he's not truly human. So in other words, if Jesus had been incapable of sinning, the temptation in the wilderness, this whole story is nothing but a lie. Jesus was able to resist all the temptations as a man because he not only knew scripture, but he obeyed it. Now take note here. Satan also knows scripture, but he refuses to obey it. In fact, Satan is is the greatest theologian apart from Jesus. Y'all think about that? Why is that? Because to be the greatest deceiver, you have to be a great theologian. You have to know how to take and twist scripture out of context. And we're certainly going to see that next week. As a conservative, Christ centered, Holy Spirit filled, Bible believing church, I think that we tend to downplay Jesus' humanity. We like to focus on Jesus' divinity, Jesus is God, He's our substitute. Amen and amen. amen. But, but if, we, if we focus too much on Jesus' divine nature, we're going to really miss a crucial lesson here. The Gospels teach us this. And that is, Jesus lived a perfect human life in complete obedience to God the Father. So key point number three. Jesus is not only the substitution for our sins, but he's the model for our lives. Because he is truly human. He did everything Adam could not do. He did everything that the nation of Israel could not do. Nothing. Think about this. Nothing supernatural happened as Jesus was being tempted. He endured these temptations as a man isolated and alone. Jesus overcame human temptation with the same spiritual resources that we have today, and I love this. Key point number four. How did Jesus do this? The power of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 4.1. The same Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the desert is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you. That, that is if you're a Christian. And number two, the power of God's word. So we have two powers here. We have the power of the Holy Spirit and we have the power of God's word. Jesus kept saying, it is written. And it's with those two powers that Jesus overcame temptation number one. And dear friends, listen, it's with those, the same, those two same powers as well that you can overcome your temptations. Does that make sense? Yes. Father in heaven, what an amazing narrative for us to, to grasp today. That Jesus, as the perfect son of man, use the same two powers that you've given to us today, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of your word. May we not forget that. May we not forget that later today when we're tempted. May we not forget that when we're working, shopping, going about our daily lives, and we come across a test, a temptation that we too, we do not have to give in that we can stand and know that, that Holy Spirit, you will lead us and give us a way out of that temptation and that we have the power of your word to overcome it. Father, thank you for these two powers, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.